Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Happy Easter to all of you. Hey, if you're joining us for the first time at one of our physical locations, Banta Franklin Garfield Park here at Greenwood, or if you're joining us for the first time somewhere around the country, around the state, online, we want to welcome you. Can we give it up for all of our first-time guests here today? Thank you for accepting someone's invitation this Easter Sunday. Man, we are celebrating Easter. We are celebrating the reality that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for us on the cross. Three days later, the stone was rolled away. Death could not hold him down. The grave could not keep him down. He is a risen Savior. Is anybody excited about that today? If you are not new today, hey, welcome back. Uh, We are starting a brand new series today called Inseparable, and if I cannot preach after a baptism ceremony like that, I have some real issues, okay? So this is, they've kind of set things up for me perfectly here, and I am ready to go. Inseparable. You know, I want to begin with an idea today, and I want you to kind of raise your hand and tell me if you've ever heard this idea from a preacher, from a book, from the Bible, from your parents, from a Sunday school teacher, anybody out there, and here's the idea. Ready? God loves you. How many of you have heard that idea? Yeah, we've all probably heard that idea before. Now, when this idea gets flashed in front of us or where somebody tells it to us, I think people tend to fall into three different categories. The first category is, man, this idea warms the heart. It brings security. It brings comfort to our life. This idea has shaped who we are, and that's a beautiful thing. So if you're in group number one, way to go. We're going to try to get everyone there in this series. Group number two, here's this idea, and it's like, okay, that's a good idea. I believe that idea theologically because the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4 that God is love. So when you open up this book, you find out that God repeatedly says that he is love and that he loves us. So theologically, we have to sort of agree intellectually that God loves us. However, however, practically on a day-to-day level, and people in this second group tend to struggle to feel God's love. It's sort of like the sun. When the sun is up and it's shining and there's no clouds, we feel the warmth of the sun. Sometimes we get you know, a tan or a sunburn uh, and, and, and some, we can feel the sun. But sometimes the sun is shining. Well, all the time the sun is shining. But there's cloud cover. And it's overcast, and the clouds are blocking the heat of the sun. So even though we know it's up there, we don't feel it or sense it. So there's a second group of people out there that would say, yeah, theologically, the Bible says God is love, and I agree with that, but man, I don't feel very loved right now. Then there's this third group of people who hear this idea that God is love, and they say, no, I don't think so. I do not believe in a God of love. I do not believe that God loves me. And these folks in group number three, they have lots of reasons for this, valid reasons. They would say, you know, when I was younger and I was being taught about God and I prayed to God, he didn't come through for me. I prayed that my mother wouldn't die of cancer and 
she did. I prayed for protection from this person who was abusing me physically or sexually, and it didn't stop. I prayed for my, my job and my, for my career to take off, and it's, it's never taken off, it's fizzled. We prayed for a child, we got married, we prayed for a baby, and infertility still exists in our, in our marriage. And these are the folks that have a list of reasons of why they really struggle with the idea of a God of love or that God loves them. In your notes, I wrote it like this. People tend to doubt the love of God or even the existence of God. We can take it a step further because of this thing called negative circumstances. And if they're not personal circumstances, they're the negative circumstances or events that have happened in the world. How human beings have treated human beings since the beginning of time. These are the folks that look back on the Holocaust or slavery or some of these things in the past, World War II, World War I, where millions upon millions upon millions of people killed each other, and they think, how, how could a God of love exist and allow all of these horrific things to take place in our world? I don't believe in a God of love. Negative circumstances. They touch all of us. They touch you. They touch me. If I talk to you for just a few minutes, I can discover what negative circumstances are happening in your life right now. And you could discover what negative circumstances are happening in my life right now. We all go through it. There's this guy in the Bible. His name was Job. He was a righteous man. He was a godly man. He was just living his life, doing his thing. He had seven sons, three daughters. He was very wealthy. He was a successful business person. And and all of a sudden, one day, he lost it all. Job had the worst day in the history of any human being on this planet. In one day, all seven of his sons were killed. All three of his daughters were killed. All of his oxen, all of his goats, all of his sheep, all, all of his whole business was ruined. And he did not curse God for it. At one point, his wife looks at him and says, Job, you need to curse God and die. <laughs> nice wife. Job said this in Job chapter 5, verse 7, speaking from experience, people are born for, say it with me, for trouble. Like, Job had this, he had a bad day after his bad day. He was kind of down, okay? He's like, you know what the purpose of life is? Trouble. <laughs> you wake up, you have problems. That's all life is. As readily as sparks fly up from a fire. Job's picture of life, based on his experience, was that people are born for trouble. We all face trouble. Why is it that some people can face trouble and still believe in a God of love and others face trouble and they deny a God of love? I think it's because of our, de our definition of love. I think it's because of our understanding of love. In our world today, the idea of love is that you protect the people that you love from any harm or adversity or difficulty or pain. Think about it with me. This is why parents are screwing up their kids. <laughs> Okay? And I can say this because I've got three teenagers. So some experience here. What parents do is they say, we love our children, so what we're going to do is protect them from any difficulty. Difficulty at school, difficulty on a sports team, difficulty here, difficulty there, difficulty with friends. We're going to protect our children from feeling any sort of pain or any sort of difficulty whatsoever. And we think that we're loving our children. What we're really doing is hindering them from developing and becoming human beings. And then they graduate and they move on from our houses and they, they have this rude awakening after they leave college and because the world is not very nice. Now, this is not a parenting talk, so I'm going to leave it there, okay? But boy, I want to preach a parenting talk one day. I said, but I'll pick that back up sometime in the future. 
This is not a parenting talk. This is a talk about God. This is a talk about the love of God. Here's why we tend to deny that a God of love exists. Because it's because of our definition, our understanding of love, of what we think love is. We think that love is protecting those we love from any harm, any adversity, or any difficulty. This is how you end up with kids living in your basement. Anyway, okay, I'm gonna stop with the, I'm gonna stop with the parenting. I'm gonna stop with the parenting, okay? We're gonna move on. So what we do with this definition of love is we project it onto God. Because we, we, this is what we do for our children. We try to protect, 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 protect. And then we think that God, if you are to love me, you should protect, 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 protect. And guess what? You haven't done a very good job. I've got pain everywhere. There's been betrayal, there's been abuse. There's been a cancer, there's been a death. There's been a job loss, there's been a bankruptcy. Um, are you paying attention at all here? You must not love me. This is what we say. People have said this out loud. You've got coworkers, friends, family. You've probably said this. If God loved me, he wouldn't have let this happen. Have you said that? Have you heard somebody say that? It's a misunderstanding of what love is. I want to talk about that today. You know, I'm so thankful for the Bible. I read it every day. read it again this morning. It was in Luke chapter 10. Fabulous passage about Mary and Martha. Anyway, I love the Bible because it addresses real life. Did you know the Bible addresses this very tension I'm talking about today? In the book of Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul talks about this specific issue. Let's jump into it. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Listen to what he says here. He says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? This word separate is this Greek word charizo. It mean, he, Paul uses it in a different context to describe divorce. Basically, it's when two parties are ripped apart and there's distance between them. He says, can anything ever create distance between God and his people, a person who puts their faith in Jesus Christ? It's a rhetorical question. He says, does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or if we're persecuted or if we're hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? This word trouble in the Greek, it's a deep word. It means trouble. <laughs> and this word here, calamity, is, is, is actually a little bit more interesting. It, it means to be in a spot where you feel pressure or trapped, like when you feel trapped in a relationship or trapped at a dead-end job or trapped literally in prison. Trouble, calamity, the word persecution that he uses here means to be hunted down by an enemy who's trying to destroy you. Does it mean that God no longer loves you when you face trouble, calamity, persecution, danger, hunger, being threatened with death? Come on, he knows that our tendency is to answer with a resounding yes. If God were doing his job, if God really loved me, then these things would not happen. And then Paul quotes a verse from Psalm 44, verse 22, in verse 36, watch what he says, makes his argument. As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are like, we are like sheep being slaughtered. We are being slaughtered like sheep. Why would he quote Psalm 44, verse 22, in Romans chapter 8, verse 36? He's making an argument. He says, hey, go back in history and look at the history of God's people, the Jews, from the very beginning, the Jews, God's chosen people, had problems. They had trouble. They had calamity. They spent 400 years in slavery in Egypt. They had all kinds of issues and enemies trying to fight them. Even when they got into the promised land, they had all kinds of problems. The Canaanites, Hivites, Jezebites. Remember all the ites? 
You know, remember, have you read the Old Testament? I mean, they got problems coming out of there. You know what? All the time. And so Paul is saying, come on, look back at history. God's people have always had trouble. They've always had calamity. They've always been persecuted. Think about most recently, uh, less than 100 years ago, what the Germans did to the Jews in the Holocaust. And it, it's been horrible. Paul says, come on, people. If, you're, if you are God's chosen people. You will have calamity. You will have trouble. You will be persecuted. Do not be surprised when you have difficulty. And do not think that just because you're having problems or difficulty or trouble that God no longer loves you. It doesn't work that way. And then he answers his own question in verse 37. No. The answer to the question is simply no. It does not mean that God no longer loves you if you have trouble, calamity, persecution, and all these different things. In fact, he says, despite all of these horrible things that happen to us, happen to everyone, we are, we have this thing called overwhelming victory. He says overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who, say it with me, loved us. Now what does that mean? Well, this is the New Living Translation. I happen to like that for reading purposes. It's a little smoother. Other translations like the NIV or the ESV or some of the others, they translate this verse like this. No, despite all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, let me explain what that means. Here we have two words, overwhelming victory. More than conquerors is three words. It's hard to sometimes translate Greek into English. The, the word that is overwhelming victory or more than conquerors is actually a word that Paul made up. It's one word. It's nikao. It's an interesting Greek word. It appears nowhere else in the entire New Testament. Nikao uh, is a Greek word. You might recognize it. It has the word N-I-K in it. Anybody recognize this symbol right here? <laughs> right? N-I-K, Nikao, Nike. It's the word conqueror. Paul puts another word in front of Nikao. It's called hupo, hooper. It means super, super conqueror, okay? That's why if we go back to the verse, Paul, uh, and, uh, the NLT says overwhelming. You don't just win in this deal. You win big over what? Trouble, calamity, persecution, hunger, danger, being threatened with death, destitution. You are a super conqueror. You win big in this deal. How? Through Christ who loved us. Now, if you're not understanding what that means, let me, let me help you out a little bit. Back in 1992, there was this incredible team that was formed called the Dream Team. Any, was anyone in high school in 1992? Oh, yeah, you're my friend. You're my friend, because you remember this. All of a sudden, the, the, the Olympic Committee said that the United States could take players from the NBA and put them together to compete in the, the World Olympics. And, and so this is the first Dream Team. Might I add the best Dream Team? Why would I say that? Because first of all, they've got the goat on the team. I won't even say his name. You should know who he is by now. They've got Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, David Robinson. I mean, Charles Barkley. I mean, poor guy doesn't have a ring, but man, he was really good. The mailman, Carmelo, Malone, Clyde Drexler. We're not sure why Chris Mullen made the team. Uh, <laughs> Scottie Pippen, Larry Bird. I mean, this is, a, this is an unbelievable team, okay? So fast forward into the Olympics, if you remember what happened, the eight games in their Olympic you know, tournament, they won by an average score of 43 points. They averaged 117 points, their opponents averaged, averaged 73 points. They didn't just win, they hupo nikaoed, okay? <laughs> they, they were more than conquerors. 
It was unbelievable how much, like in the championship game, in the gold medal game, they won by a a small margin of 32 points. (laughs) I mean, it was the tightest game. (laughs) This this coach here, Chuck Daly, he was the coach of the Pistons, never called a timeout in all eight games. Now, if you understand basketball, you call timeouts all the time. The other team goes on a run, you players need a break, you need to regroup, whatever. Never called one timeout. They didn't just win, they won big. And here's what, here's what Paul is saying about you and I as believers. When it comes to trouble or calamity or persecution or danger or being threatened with death, you are more than a conqueror. You don't just win in this deal, you win big. How? Look what he says, let's go back. Through Christ who loved us. Notice how Paul doesn't say loves us. Now we know theologically that God loves us, present tense. He uses the past tense through Christ who loved us. He's pointing backwards to an event. What event is he pointing back to? He's pointing back to the death of Christ on the cross and three days later, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead that conquered the penalty of sin and death. Oh death, where is your sting, right? That's what Paul wrote. He defeated sin and death with an overwhelming victory. Paul says this earlier in the letter, Romans chapter five, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were yet sinners. When was the last time you looked at a cross? Will you look at one with me? When you look at a cross, what you see is overwhelming victory. You see, hupo nikao. We don't just win, we win big through the love of Christ. The love of God turned the worst defeat in history on that Good Friday into the greatest victory ever known to mankind. And that's what you're part of, the love of God. What is Paul saying here? In your notes, I wrote it like this. He says, there is and always has been an inseparable link. That's the title of this series. An inseparable, inseparable link between God, God's love and his people. You cannot break it. It was demonstrated on the cross of Jesus Christ. He defeated sin and death so that you could be connected to him. This is why Paul writes in another letter, 1 Corinthians, he said, love never gives up, love never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through, say it with me, every circumstance. One more time, every circumstance, trouble, calamity, persecution, threats of danger, destitution, hunger, whatever the situation is, even your own sin. We just got done with a series called Mercy. Not even your sin can pluck you out of the Father's hand. There's nothing that can separate you from God's love. How could he say this? How can Paul write such bold things? You gotta ask that question sometimes when you read the Bible, it's like, "Ah, how do you get away with that? How could you say such things? Well, as I thought about that question, it, it, it came to me. The reason Paul could write, no, despite all these things, we are supo nukaho, you know, upo nukahos, oh, more than conquerors through him who loved us. Nothing can separate us. How could he write that? It came to me that he's not writing from a, from a, a theoretical position. He's writing from an experiential position. See, Paul was this missionary guy who took the message of the gospel into the world and suffered for it. At one point, he was thrown in jail and locked in prison. 
At another point, he was beaten up and whipped over and over and over. At one point, he was beaten up so bad, thrown to the ground, he was pelted with rocks and left for dead. He was shipwrecked. He was left at sea, drifting. He was freezing cold. He suffered hunger. Trouble, he went through it. Calamity, he was in jail. Persecution, he endured it. He's not talking theory here. He's talking about everything that he went through. And, and, and never one time did he ever feel like God abandoned him. And so he writes these words in verse 38. He continues the argument. And so I am convinced, I am persuaded that nothing can separate us from God's love. How could he write that? He's been there. He's felt it. He's seen it. And then he goes to this amazing list. He says, neither death nor life. Now, why does he start with death? Why is death the first thing on his list? I think death is the first, first thing on his list because we human beings always have feared death the most. It grips us. It gets our attention. Why is it that every night on CNN and Fox News or MSNBC or whatever it is that you watch, the first thing they lead with most nights is who died? What's the COVID death rate today? What was the accident? What was the explosion? What was the fire? Who died? Who died? Who died? It's the first thing on the news because the news knows that they don't have our best interests at heart. Hello. The news knows that what grabs our attention is death. We fear it the most. It gets our attention. Who died? And so Paul knows that, so he puts it first on the list. Now, here's the thing for believers today. What is death? Jesus said in John 8, 51, if you obey my teachings, you will never die. What is death for a believer? It's passing from this life to the next. For the believer, there's no such thing as death. Paul said it like this one time, Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. How could he say to die is gain? Because death is an exit from this world into the next world. What is the next world? The very presence of a loving God. For the believer, there is no such thing as death. Not even death can separate you from God's love, nor life. The things that are going on in this life, COVID-19 and problems with money and problems with sickness, not even the difficulties of life can separate you from his love. Neither angels nor demons, not even the spiritual realm, which is a very real realm. Neither our fears for today nor our worries for tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Wow. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed to us in Christ Jesus. Is anybody excited about that? What a flurry of beauty and truth in one sentence. What's he trying to do here? Paul is trying to make this argument with his imagination, with the use of words, the use of the Greek language. He's trying to capture this idea that if you sat down in a room with your friends and tried to create a scenario that could take you out of the Father's love, if you whiteboarded it out, this demon comes from hell. Satan and his minions come out and they put their hooks in you and they rip you. Could it happen? No. 
Well, what if there was this monster kind of like from the upside down world? Remember that show? Uh, you know, that comes out. What was it? What was it called? Uh, a demagogan? Or maybe one of these guys right here. What if, what, if, what if one of these came out from, you know, behind, from underneath the ground and, and sucked your face off? I don't know. Sucked your brains out. Could that, ha- could that separate you from God's love? No. No. Nothing. Below the ground, above the ground, not even your own mess-ups and mistakes and sins can ever separate you from God's love. Wow. Why would Paul make such an argument so passionately? Why would he go through verse after verse after verse? Death, life, angels, demon, worries for today, fears for tomorrow, nothing can come out of hell. Why would he say these things? I was thinking about that question. Why make such a powerful argument that you and God's love are inseparable forever. Why would he make that argument? And it kind of came to me that the love of God must be the most important thing in our life. It must be like oxygen. I mean, can you live very long without oxygen? It must be like water. I think you can survive three days without water. And then you die. The love of God must be on the same level as oxygen and, 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 and water and food and, and, and sleep. Like it, it must be something that we need to survive and to live the spiritual life. You can live a phys- physical life without the love of God, but to live a spiritual life, you cannot exist without it. That must be the answer. We need it, desperately. How many remember Billy Graham? Man, he is a great preacher. It's been said that Billy Graham preached to 210 million people in live audiences in 185 different countries. Wow, that's a lot of preaching. That's not counting the internet, how many people saw him on television. 210 million people in live audiences. Billy used to say in all of his messages, God loves you. I can't say it like him, but I'm gonna try. God loves you, you know. (laughs) I wish I could say it like him. I wish I had his voice. I've kind of got a squeaky voice. I hate it sometimes. I need a Billy voice. God loves you. He'd say it. Somebody asked him one day, Billy, why do you always say God loves you to all your audiences? And this was his answer. If you really knew that God loved you, it would transform your life. It's one thing to know theologically that God is love, 1 John 4, 16. By definition, God sort of has to love you or else he's not God. It's one thing to know that. It's another thing to know it deep in your soul. I mean, what would happen if you truly embraced yourself as one loved by God? What would happen to your life? Think, think about all the unanswered questions of the soul that you and I have. Am I significant? Am I important? Does anybody love me? Does anybody see me? Does my life matter? Is, am I worth anything? Think about how we try to answer those questions. If I get some more money, I'll be important. If I, if I get more likes and comments on my Facebook posts, maybe, you know, then... If I just make myself a little prettier, if I just get, lose about 20 pounds, if I just, if I just, if I just. Think about all the striving that we do to answer the questions of who we are, to sure our lives up. 
What would happen if, if, if the love of God answered all of the questions of the soul for you? How would that transform your life? How much striving would fall off in your life? Think about how you could settle in and accept yourself as you are, just as God accepts you, just as you are. It would be peace. It would be joy. Self-acceptance. The love of God, if known deep in the soul, transforms your heart from the inside out. No wonder King David wrote these powerful words. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. Wow. We, we value life, our life. David says, the love of God's better than my life. Here's what I want to do for the rest of our series. I just want to explore that idea. I just want to look at how the love of God changes us. Take a three-week journey. I know it's Easter and many of you have come because it's Easter and we probably won't see you again for another year. <laughs> so wave at me, you know. As you walk out. What if, what if, you, what if you said, I'm not going to do that this year? I'm not going to be a creaster Christmas and Easter. What if you decided to take a journey with me, with us, to discover how God's love would change your life? I'm not very good at this. I try. I grew up in a culture where you were re re rewarded for good performance and sort of talked to or punished if you didn't perform well. And that's everybody, right? We live in a culture of performance. You perform well at work, you get promoted, raises. You don't perform, you get, on a, you get put on a program and maybe let go. You, know? you perform well on the court, you get a starting position. You don't perform, you get benched. It's, it's the way of the world. And what we've done and what I've done is we've just projected, projected that whole culture onto God. And hey, what, if I'm doing well with him, he's probably promoting me and like, hey, Danny, you're doing a great job. If I'm sinning and blowing it and messing up, you know, he's probably like, dude, I'm about to, about to bring it down on you. And God just doesn't work in that economy. And so I'd struggle to rest and live in the love of God and let it transform me. God's love is much different. God's love is is unconditional. It's not based on our performance and how well we do and how well we perform as a person, as an employee, as a husband, as a wife, as a son, a daughter, a student, an athlete. God's love is based completely on his affection for us, not what we produce and how we perform. It's really hard to absorb that idea. Will you take a journey with me over the next couple of weeks to kind of explore that? Will you start today by struggling with this question? Will you accept this love? If I could rephrase this question, I would say, would you even be open to accepting God's love? Just open your heart. Say, God, I, I, I'm, I'm in that second category where, you know, I know the sun is shining, but the clouds are covering it, and I can't feel it. Would you please open up the sky? I want to I feel your love. Maybe you're in the third category. You're like, man, negative circumstance, negative circumstance, negative circumstance. I can't believe in a God of love. Would you, would you at least maybe be open your heart to exploring the possibility that God loves you even in the midst of the difficult circumstances. That's the journey I want to invite you on.
over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about that. You are more than a conqueror. There's overwhelming victory through Christ who loved us. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we celebrate not just your death on the cross today. We celebrate the reality that you took your life back. You said one time, no one can take your life. You lay it down and the Father's given you power to take it back up. You said one time to your critics, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up three days later. You did that. You took your life back from the grave. On that third day, you came back to life, conquering the penalty of sin and death so that we can have life. Your love for us turned the worst defeat in history into the greatest victory this world has ever seen. Thank you for that love. Help us to be open to it and to receive it. We pray this in Jesus' name. definitely at a crossroad. We were having some serious, some serious issues um, for about the past, you know, it was probably about three to six months that we really were going through some hard times. Memorial Day 2018. I lost my daughter 
and uh, wasn't sure how to cope with it. We'd been through a lot through the passing of his daughter. He was just shutting everybody out, and um, we were really, really in trouble. So, During the course of the next two years, I just felt I needed to break away from my family. If I set it all aside, I thought it'd go away. Some people uh, resort to other things, such as alcohol, drugs, whatever, when they lose a child. I resorted to being in connection with other women. I felt that it was different. I felt that all my problems would go away if I didn't have what was most important to me. Now, I was going down a path that I did not want to go down. I kept having this voice, you know, I prayed every night, you know, please give me guidance. I don't know what to do. And all I kept hearing was, don't give up on him. I was working at a heating air company and I was approached by one of my coworkers and she's like, hey, have you heard about Emmanuel? She said, well, you don't have to drive an hour and 10 minutes to get there. They have it online. And I'm like, awesome. She had talked to her husband, um, Brent, and uh, Brent had, had, made, had reached out one, two times to me uh, for a couple weeks. Rhonda would send me a text in the morning, a Sunday morning to say, hey, Church is on in an hour. Church is on in 45 minutes. <laughs> you know, she would just constantly give us something, you know, remind us to, hey, click online. And she would include the link uh, on every time. At first, I was kind of like the worship was, wow, it's really starting to get to me how, the, how they started out with the band. And hey, these guys. This isn't your normal church. This, this, isn't, isn't, yeah. <laughs> this is different. This is something we would, we would really like. Yeah, this is normal. Mm -hmm. And Pastor Cody got up there, and uh, wow, uh, I thought it was just me and him in the room. We felt like that he was directly talking to Todd that day. It just kind of hit me right in the face, and I think that's the day that everything turned around. Yeah, I would say so. That was the day that he began to heal. We both began to heal together. After every service um, on Sunday, it has prompted us to have a conversation. We we will usually set for half an hour. There have been times we've set for two hours um, talking about, you know, what the message was for the day or how it affected us and, you know, related to us, I guess, in some way. It made me realize how much we missed having church in our life. You go through life raising a family and you know when you don't go to church you don't think about it but now as we look back that's what was missing I think. I remember um, March 22nd that night um, I had laid down in bed and I had made that prayer and I told him <laughs> I said you've done some wrong things to me but I need you now. I've lost one very important part of my life. Don't let me lose two. And here we are. <laughs> you know, here it is a year later and we've, uh, it's amazing how you, after 26 years, you wouldn't think that, you, but you, we fell in love all over again. Yeah. <laughs> we did. 
Face first I've fallen, turned away so often I've ebbed and I've flowed, you've stayed so constant So many mistakes that I thought my life was an impasse Past the point of no return, but you said I'll take that even at my lowest you reconstruct what's broken you reach out to the hopeless and illuminate where the hope is i don't know where this road is leading i just know the god who leads me i've spent far too much time apart from the love i was always seeking because once it's found where love abounds a deaf and ear can hear the sounds of every step up to that hill where shackles fall and grace resounds because lord it's me i'm here you speak your hands held open my hands I'll reach I'll reach I'll reach for your love I'll reach out for your Patient love is always reaching. God is reaching out to you today. And his message to you is, I love you. Will you reach out to him? If Jesus were here today and said, I, I've done everything I can do to prove my love to you. I've given my life. I laid it down as a sacrifice for your sin. Will you receive that love? Will you trust me for the forgiveness of your sins? For spiritual life, for abundant life, for eternal life. If you'd like to place your faith in Jesus today and declare him to be your savior and reach out to him in faith, I'm gonna say a simple prayer. You can take these words, you can make them your own, turn it into your own prayer. It's not the words that matter, it's the faith behind the words. 
and you'll become a son or a daughter of Jesus today. Will you pray with me? Dear Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. I believe that three days later, you came back to life so that I could be forgiven, set free from sin. I choose to trust you today. I choose faith today. I put my confidence in you, not myself. I put myself in your arms. I receive your love. May your love from this day forward transform my life. May it change me into the person you created me to be. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Church, can we give God glory today? Come on, nice and loud. If you just put your faith in Christ today, our church, Emmanuel Church, would love to put a saved box in your hand. You say, what's that? It's sort of a starter kit to get you on your, started on your new journey with Christ. Inside this box, there is a Bible. There's some instructions on how to get started in your faith about baptism, small groups. And there's also a, a cup in here to say congratulations. It's a coffee cup. I think you'll like that as well. So if you trusted Christ at one of our physical locations, Text this word SAVED to 65248. You can pick it up at the information desk in the lobby. If you're watching online and you trust in Christ, text this word SAVED to 65248 and we'll send one to you in the mail. One more time, church. Can we give God glory this Easter? Amen. Will you pray with me and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we get to celebrate the victory, the overwhelming victory we have through Christ who loved us. Jesus, thank you for being willing to lay your life down, to suffer, to die on our behalf. Thank you, Father, for giving your son the strength to take his life back from the dead three days later so that we can be restored, so that we can be forgiven, so that we can experience fellowship and love and peace and joy in a relationship with you. Jesus, we're grateful. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. Thank you for the gift of being able to walk in your presence. We love you. We adore you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.